This morning we have three scriptures from Matthew, Acts, and 1 Corinthians. From Matthew's chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, you, you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come from Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 34. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. This is the word of the Lord. As a child, I was deeply intrigued by the ancient city of Pompeii frozen in time due to a volcanic eruption, the city gives us a sneak peek at what life was like, not long after the life and death of Jesus. I used to wonder, what would people make of my life 
hundreds of years from now if everything was frozen today? Looking inside my closet, it would not be amiss to assume that somebody perhaps would think that I worshipped a human-sized anthropomorphic husky, or perhaps a blue and green human-like bird called a seahawk, or a mariner and an M. Maybe for you, people might mistake your worship for a black and orange giant, or a big green A, golden maroon 49er. The, the symbols that we give space to, the symbols in our life, they reveal something about our hearts and our minds. I wonder what they would make of our churches in this place. What are the symbols that they would find here that would tell them about what you and I believed, who we worshipped, who we are as a people? Every Sunday we come into this room and we declare something about who we believe God to be and who we believe us to be, even without saying a word. Because every Sunday when we leave this place, you and I, when we leave this space, what remains is a cross and a table and a fount. Last week, Dale talked about the cross, the one that reminds us of our need for salvation, of a Savior who would sacrifice himself for us. But what do the table and the fount tell us? What do they mean for us? What story do they tell in our life? Thanks to the Reformation, sacrament means something very different to us than it does to our Catholic and Anabaptist brothers and sisters. Catholic theology would state that the bread and the wine that you see here are literally and actually transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. That the waters of baptism are absolutely necessary for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. But the reformers disagreed. Calvin understood that these sacraments no, these sacraments were an outward sign of an inward grace. They were a marker of what God was already doing in your life and in my life and in his life. That's not to say they're mere, merely symbolic, as our Anabaptist brothers and sisters would believe. No, we believe that these sacraments are effective. They do something. But what they do is they point us, they lead us, they bring us closer to God and to Jesus. I grew up hiking in the mountains of western Washington, and one of the very first things that you learn when you're a small child hiking up there is to look for the trail markers. They can look different depending on which trail you on. Perhaps it is a piece of red string tied to a branch. Perhaps it's a splash of paint on a tree trunk. But when you are surrounded by towering pines and rocks when you are in a disorienting landscape. These small markers help you to know that you are on the right path, that you're moving in the right direction. The sacraments are markers on our own journeys of faith. They are the consistent proclamation in our lives that keep telling us, go, keep going, you're on the right path. They give us the strength to move forward even when we can't see the end of the trail. They are the markers that remind us that we are not the first people to blaze this path. 
that one has gone before us who has promised to show us the way and it is a trustworthy trail to follow. Right now, many of us are feeling highly disoriented. The markers by which we have planned and led our lives have been wiped away. But no fire, no disaster, no human or man-made thing can wipe away the markers of God in this world. Nothing can take away the truth of the one who is leading us home. When it comes to baptism, there has always been a conflict, always been disagreement, even to the point of shedding blood. And usually it's about when. When should someone get baptized? Is it as a baby, as a child, as an adult? But perhaps this is the wrong question to be concerned with. Perhaps the when is not nearly as important as the why or the what. Why do we do this? What does it mean for us? In Matthew, we get a front seat to the baptism of Jesus. And we see there that the act of baptism is not the culmination of anything. In fact, it's rather the beginning of everything. For many of us in our current world, baptism represents the moment that we accept Jesus into our heart. It may mean that for many of you. We tend to see it as a culmination of a decision that we as a human have individually made to join the family of God. Baptism then becomes necessary to be fully accepted and forgiven. But Reformed theology would disagree because they don't see it as the culmination of the faith, but the very beginning of our life's mission. When Jesus comes up from the water, the voice of God calls down and declares, This is my son, the one that I love. With him I am well pleased. And what is conferred upon Jesus in that moment is the knowledge that he is already chosen, already loved, already part of God's family. He didn't become God's son in that moment. No, it was just revealed to the rest of us who he already was. We get baptized not because we've made a choice to join God's family, but because we recognize that we have already been invited. God always moves first. We simply respond to that movement in our hearts and our lives. God has been shocking us with this truth for a long time. When Peter goes to Cornelius and his household, he and the others are astonished to see that the Holy Spirit is already on those who have not yet received this baptism of water. They say, who then are we to withhold it? And Cornelius and everyone else in his household, no matter what age, receive baptism as a response to what God is already doing in their life, not as a way to bring God into their lives. This is why the reformers have no problem with infant baptism, because baptism isn't a magic fix to cure sin, nor is it a marker of human choice. Rather, 
It is a symbol, a sign, a marker conferred on those who are already chosen, already welcomed into the family of God. And when we baptize children in this church, we are claiming for them that promise. And we are claiming it for ourselves. We are promising to remind them, to remind ourselves every day that they are already beloved by God. And this is why no one is asked to be perfect for baptism. If we had to be ready, if we had to be able to fully grasp the enormity of what occurred in baptism, the magnitude of the grace that was offered, none of us would ever get there. The word repent in Greek literally means to turn, to stop and turn back around and face the one who is already waiting for us, no matter if we're three months or 80 years into our journey of faith. Imagine this. Imagine if you truly believed in your heart of hearts that God had chosen you, had called you, had named you first, long before you ever knew, when you were still stuck in the worst moment of your life, the worst thing you've ever done, when you didn't even know who he was, he chose you. What if instead of everything weighing on your shoulders to make the right choice at the right time, all you had to do was respond to the one who already had his arms outstretched? What difference would this make in our life and in the life of this world? So many of us are desperate to know that someone, that anyone really wants us for who we are. We are so used to having to be in charge, to having to make things happen, to having to shape ourselves into whatever image someone else wants so that they like us. But God is not like that. He's not waiting on us to make the right choice. He's already moving in our lives, already choosing us. He's just waiting for us to realize it. If baptism is the beginning of our journey with God, then this table, this bread, and this cup, they're the mile markers along the way. Perhaps one of the most important aspects of sacrament that the Reformers claimed was that they are meant to be shared in community with one another. We are not meant to walk the road of life alone. It is meant to be done with our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our friends and even our enemies. We are meant to literally bear with one another, to lift up one another when someone needs help, to be lifted up when we need help. In the past month, we have seen how incredible life can look when we live into this kind of community. That even in the face of loss and pain, it is easier when we are not alone. And this is why Paul is so angry at the church in Corinth. Because they have forgotten. 
They have forgotten that the Lord's Supper, the meal that they're gathering to celebrate, is not about them as an individual, but about the community as a whole, about the people of God. Too often when we read this passage, we take it to mean that if we, as an individual, have sin in our life, that we shouldn't come to this table. That's not what Paul is saying. We have to remember that in the verses previous, Paul is talking to the whole group. He says, Now in the following, I do not commend you, for because when you come together, it is for worse and not for better. I hear there are divisions among you and factions, and to some extent, I believe it, because when you come together to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and some get drunk and others go hungry. You show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. In other words, we're People were coming to the table, to the Lord's Supper, which at that point was still an actual meal. But they weren't caring and sharing with their whole community. Instead, those who had money and who were privileged were still taking the prime seats at the front of the room, still taking the bulk of the food and the wine while while their less privileged brothers and sisters went hungry. And what kind of message does this show to the rest of the world? Certainly not the one that Jesus showed when he sat in that upper room and he gave those words. Certainly not one of self-sacrifice and generosity. I had a dream one night. I dreamed of a man who found himself with an invitation to a dinner. He went to the host's home and knocked on the door, and when he came inside, he was shocked to see a table went as far as he could see, to the left and to the right. The host came and welcomed him. I'm so glad that you're here. I know it's a bit informal, but in this place, we let people choose their own seats. Please. The man began to walk up and down the table, trying to decide which seat that he wanted. He said, I can't sit here. That person roots for the Raiders. That's not going to work. And then he said, I can't sit here because this person looks like they want to talk about their job all night, and I don't want to hear it. And up and down and up and down he went, and he couldn't decide. So finally, he went to the very end of the table where no one else was, and he grabbed his seat. This is better, he thought. No one will bother me here. And as he sat there, the food began to appear, and it looked delicious, and he went to reach down to eat it, and the oddest thing happened. His arms began to grow, and they became quite long, and as much as he tried to struggle, he couldn't reach his own plate. And he tried harder and harder, and the harder he tried, the hungrier he got. Finally, the host noticed the man's frustration He came down to the end of the table. What's wrong, he asked. Everything. I cannot feed myself, and I am growing hungry. The host paused for a minute. Look up, he said. And as the man looked up, he saw the table as far as he could see that everyone's arms had grown long, but they were just long enough to reach the plate for the person across from them. 
just long enough to feed the person across from them and to receive food for themselves. My friend, the host, said, don't you see the only way to eat at this table is to share. This table was never meant for one. Move up, join us, and eat your fill. This table was never meant for one. It is meant for all of the people of God. And when we come to it with divisions and judgment and anger, we bring pain onto ourselves and our own community because rather than being filled by the grace and the peace of God, we just grow hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. The reformers knew that this table wasn't magic, but it is special. Because every time that we come to it, every time we participate in the breaking of the bread and the Lord's Supper, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are brought nearer to Jesus. It is a marker on our journey that tells us, keep going. That gives us the strength we need to face the days that are to come. In a recent study, researchers found that people who shared the same food at the same meal were more likely to trust one another and felt closer to the people around them. We share a common meal of bread and of wine, and it brings us closer to each other and to God. It builds our trust in one another. It builds our community. It literally remembers us together as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. At this table, we experience more than just a symbol. It's a connection to ourselves and to God and to each other. When we are beat down and afraid, when we are worn out and broken and lost, this table is a marker that God is with us, that we are not alone, and that Jesus has gone before. When we hear those ancient words repeated, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, we come face to face with a God, with a Savior who knows us by name and who has claimed us, and chosen us, and redeemed us. This is my body broken for you, Sarah. This is my body broken for you, James. This is my body broken for you. Don't ever think that I am far away. Don't ever think that you are alone. My table is set, and your invitation is waiting. Move up and join us.